It's time for the Root and Roots show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. Good evening, everyone. This is Greg Rashid, the host of the Root and Root Show. Hope you had a great day, a great weekend thus far, or if you're listening to this another time, just a great day. But this is the Root and Root Show, and we come on every Saturday evening live at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and on Fridays live at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But if you can't listen to us live, you can listen to us on uh, blogtalkradio.com at your convenience, or you can listen on a delayed basis at KUHS Radio and Television in Denver. And Henry Archuleta is the founder of that great radio station. And I'm eventually I'm going to be doing live shows there. So, you know, I'll be doing that in the fall, and I'm really going to be looking forward to talking to all my friends out there in the Colorado area. So I'm just so happy just to be on that station and look forward to just seeing the old friends again. But anyway... We're going to get to the music right now, and I'm going to start off with, wait for our guest. I'm going to do Big Walter Horton. It's a little blues here, and this is Have a Good Time. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. Get back, liquor. Come on, roll. Come in, nothing but money and clothes. Have a good time. Take your mind back to the third chapter in the book of Acts. 
man looked at Pete and John. Bible said, get some arms. Peter said, look up on us. Silver and gold, have I none? But I do know someone. And when I call his took the man by his right hand, called on Jesus and gave this command, rise up, rise up and to say people were amazed that day we did not cure this man by ourselves but it was Christ that you put to death this man called Jesus Christ can give you eternal life If you would only talk to the Lord, you might even make the lame walk. Then one day you can surely say, rise up, rise up and walk. You've been blessed by the Storytellers and Peter and John. I played that because they put they put a James Brown beat in there, and it's from a CD I have called Good God Gospel Music. And it, it, I'll have to play the whole thing sometimes. But I hope you enjoyed that on the Root and Root Show. That was the Gospel Storytellers Peter and John, and we started the show off with Big Walter Horton, and that was Have a Good Time. And we're going to have a good time here right now because I have as my guest, and this. This is really something because I think I set a record for myself because two days in a row I've had another Pulitzer Prize nominee on this show. And I'm just honored to have on here John Pesha, who wrote a – this book is superb. As a baseball historian, baseball fan, I just love this book. It's called The Game, Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. And how are you doing there, John? Good, Greg. How are you today? I'm doing fine, and the book is on Little Brown and Company books, and it's, uh, just, I mean, I just love, I mean, I have read various books about what happened during the strike of 94 and the steroid era, but you sum up everything. I love this book because you just get into so much detail. It's just it's just amazing. I just, you know, and I know it had to be a struggle to get these facts off of some of these folks in this book. And 
just just tell me why you know why did you decide to write the book and how long you know how long did it take you just to get everything coordinated with this book? Well, first, Greg, thanks for uh, the very kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been a baseball fan all my life. I'm 63 years old. I started this book um, more than five years ago at this point. And um, I've been a sports journalist, so uh, on top of being a fan, and the two decades that I wrote about, um, from basically the 90s and, and 2000 um, into 2010, uh, are probably um, the two most historic fundamentally changing the game decades in the history of baseball. And I just, being a daily journalist first and then a magazine journalist second, I knew there was just so much more behind what really happened than we had been allowed to get to. So I kind of said, let's let's do this. I thought it would take two and a half years, and it took five years. The union Man. was the first in. They were uh, They didn't think that their story had been told very well by the uh, by the press to date, so they were they were in from the start. And usually, once you get one side of a three-legged stool, the other being Major League Baseball and then and then the Yankees as the three main drivers of this of these two decades, the the rest usually follow, and that was the case. And listeners, you can call in at four two four six seven five eight three one five. Four two four six seven five eight three one five. I'm talking to John Pesha, the author of the great book, The Game Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. And I, you know, I'm gonna jump to the end of the book because I, you know, I'm not giving away anything. But at the end, I had never really thought about it to finish and reading your book. But you mentioned three folks who should be in the Hall of Fame eventually. Right. And I want you to say, you know, I'll just say the names, Bud, you know, former Commissioner Bud Selig, Don Fair of the Union, you know, head of the Union, and also George Steinbrenner, and talk about each one, why they should be in there. And some of it is obvious, but for a lot of folks, especially with um, Selig, because I know a lot of folks did not like Bud Selig at all. And a lot of people hated right. Steinbrenner for another reason, but just talk about why you think these are folks who should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, there were there there was no question. Baseball was changing and changing fast, and these three people um, were in the position to affect how base, how we were going to watch and appreciate and look at baseball for decades to come. Uh, Bud Seeley being the commissioner of baseball, and really uh, the 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 singular greatest achievement of of his career was uniting the ownership um, because. The ownership, really, you would think with all the strikes and, and lockouts, the ownership was fighting with the players, but the real fight was between the owners. And, you know, between the rich owners like George Steinbrenner right. and the, whoever had the, the Red Sox and had the, had the Cubs and, and Los Angeles and the Kansas City Royals and the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds of baseball. And until they could uh, get together and say, we agree on how we're going to split up the pie because – it's an entertainment business, and it's always about money. And once they agreed on uh, on how they were going to do it, then baseball could could move on. And Sealy was the person who was able to bring all those people together. Um, George Steinbrenner, you know, was a force of nature. Um, has the most um, recognizable brand, in not just you know one of the most recognizable brands in all of the world, not just sports. And he understood the value of his asset better than any other owner. First, 
um, with television and, and merchandising and that you had to spend money to make money, and he was a terrific showman. I mean, how many owners do you think would be repeating characters on the number one um, show on television for four or five years running? And that was George yeah, Steinberg. Yeah, on Seinfeld. And, yeah. Right, on Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Uh, who really helped, you know, um, soften some of the edges of George? Because George, at his worst, was someone you just didn't want to be in the room with. And George, at his best, was someone who had a great heart and, you know, a competitor and knew how to win and, and saw the future. Um, a real, you know, a, um, somebody who had some real contradictory um, characteristics. And, you know, he putting together that, that Yankee run um, really helped baseball get out of the, self, the giant self-inflicted wound, which was the strike of 94 when they shut down the game and lost right. the World Series. And the fans, uh, those of the, your, your listeners who are old enough to remember and those who have read about it, the fans were, were really irate, and it was a 20% drop in, in uh, attendance for two years. But not just that. On opening day in 1995, after the strike, they went there and they threw batteries and bottles and yelled oh, all I remember. sorts of things at the players. I mean, it was ugly when they came back. And the Yankee run was something that, um, that really changed the uh, – you know, really, really won people over. Um, and Don Fear, obviously the players being a united front and demanding their fair share of, of the money that was coming into this game, um, I think did a, a brilliant job. Marvin Miller established that union, but by the time Don Fear took over, that union was incredibly diverse. Um, you know, you're talking about people, you know, by the end of his, his uh, tenure from all over the world and, um, and all different age brackets and all different agendas. And being able to keep all that together and, and find common ground with the owners is an amazing achievement. And, and for that, I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But if I can say just one more thing about Don Fear sure. and anybody who runs the union, um, I think that, the, that what their job is and the view that people have of their job, and myself included um, to, to an extent going in, is, differs very much from what their job is. Their job is to uh, represent the best uh, and protect the best interests of their, of their uh, clients, which are the players. It's not to tell them what to do and to think that the, that the players would listen to a, um, uh, a union leader um, is, is almost uh, laughable, especially in the last 10 years uh, of this story where players are incredibly powerful because they have just so much money and so much long-term ta- uh, uh, contracts that they can no one's telling them to do steroids and not to do steroids. Could Don Thier recommend things? Obviously, but his job was to protect the best interests of the players, usually and against the overreach of their employer. Beginning and end of that. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the steroids and also the union because I want you. There was a, one. There's a number of stories in there that made me laugh out loud. And one in particular, sure. and I want you to talk about Lenny Dykstra okay. as far as at the union meeting because it's just hilarious and how he is set up by the uh, owner of the Phillies at the time. And just talk about that. Sure. You know, like we said, the, the unit, um, the solidarity of the union obviously is is hugely important, and and the one thing, one of the, the key things that 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 um, Marvin Miller and then Don Fear um, had 
uh, going for him was that the top players in the game um, were the ones who were the union leaders. I mean, uh, when there was a, a, a strike, Dave Winfield was one of the leaders of the union. Dave Winfield had a 10-year contract. It, what, whatever happened coming out of the strike was never going to affect him. Um, when, when they struck in 94, Don Manningly was at the very end of his, of his uh, career, had already signed his con- last contract. It wasn't going to help him, but they were leaders in this. Right. And what happens is Lenny Dykstra, um, who has a, uh, had a great season in 93, which we now know was, was held tremendously by, by steroids, and so does everybody else in the game um, at that time know this, um, is a huge star, uh, starred in the World Series, and they go out on strike, and finally he gets on ESPN and says that I'm going to get the 20 highest-paid players together in a room and we're going to figure out what's, what's going on and, and settle this strike once and for all, which was news to all the other players in, in baseball. That's right. <laughs> uh, and there was uh, regularly scheduled union, union meetings going on uh, uh, during lead-up to and opening day and and this was going to be the i mean uh the opening of spring training um so this was this was a big deal and he goes out and says this and there's a meeting and there are two more than 250 players go to this meeting and the night before dykstra had been seen with with the owner of the phillies who's a close friend and an ally of, of bud selig's uh, bill giles and uh dykstra gets up had, and and the union leadership knew this what was going to happen and dykstra gets up with his list of things to talk about, which undoubtedly were agreed upon with his owner. And he is shouted down by Roger Clemens, and he's shouted down by Cecil Fielder, and he's shouted down by everyone in the room. And within four or five minutes, he is just back down and saying, listen, I take it all back. Anything you guys want to do is fine with me. <laughs> yeah, Lenny, you know, Lenny's a key person in the story during that time. But tell my listeners, too, because I didn't realize this in the book, how close it Baseball came to not even existing after the strike. Well, I mean, it was dangerously close to being on strike they, for quite a while. They, uh, I'll tell you what, and and you know, it's interesting the way the the world would have turned out. Um, there was a Democratic administration. It was the Clinton administration, and because there was a Democratic administration, there were three um, NLRB. Uh, um, judges and two uh, or representatives on the board and two uh, Republicans. And the way this, this strike ended was the uh, players filed unfair labor practice uh, suit against the uh, owners for bringing in replacement players. And there it went to um, the NLRB, and the NLRB voted three Democrats to two Republicans. Um, to uh, move the the, the uh, dispute to a federal court, from which there were more um, Democrats on the court appointed than there were Republicans, and so we know that the it goes through the NLRB by one vote, and it and it goes to a Democratic uh, you know left-leaning uh, judge who rules in favor of the players. Had it been a Republican administration, it would have been three to two against. Um, the union undoubtedly and who knows what would have happened from there I mean they were having huge trouble with replacement teams Uh, they weren't allowed to play in Toronto because you couldn't play uh, 
strike breakers in in Canada, although they gave an, an exception to the Expos, then Expos in Montreal. And Peter Angelo says he wasn't going to play uh, the owner of the Orioles because he was trying to protect Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak. So who knows what would have happened um, if if it had flipped the other way. So you could say, if, you know, George Bush wins the uh, election instead of Bill Clinton, we might not have baseball up. as we know it today. Right, you know, because I was um, – I want you to talk a little – you know, I didn't realize how badly George W. Bush really wanted to be commissioner of baseball. Talk about that. And also talk about the uh, – we've got to mention the judge who's, who is now on the Supreme Court who helps – Sonia Sotomayor was the judge who who found in favor of the players, and I can tell you that there are still people in in ownership and still uh, people who who represented and, and counseled ownership who still think that she made a terrible decision and it never should have been ruled that way. It's a, just a different way of of looking at the world. George Bush was a huge baseball fan. carried a carried a bat around with him to um, during. Uh, classes in elementary school, um, loved baseball. His uncle was one of the early owners of the New York Mets. They would sit in the owner's box when the Astros came to town. I mean, when the Mets came to town, uh, the Astros. And um, he was the owner, uh, part owner, very small part owner, 2% of the Texas Rangers, but the guy who was out front. And he um, went to all the owners' meetings. He was uh, pursued heavily by the press, as you might imagine, the son of a president, sitting president. And um, and he sat behind the uh, dugout um, signing autographs on baseball cards with his uh, picture on it and spitting out sunflower seeds like baseball and going out to lunch all the time with Bobby Valentine, then the manager. And um, and his, his friends from his boyhood said that his um, – Dream in life was to become the uh, the next Kennesaw Mountain Landers, the first commissioner of baseball. And Faye Vincent was a family friend. And when Faye Vincent was squeezed out above the protests of George Bush uh, and the Texas Rangers, um, he asked Faye if he thought being a commissioner uh, would be a good fit for him. And Faye Vincent told him absolutely, but he didn't think that um, Bud Sealy would ever step down. And it took about five months um, uh before George Bush um, became convinced, because Bud Sealing was uh, Sealing um, was letting him believe that he would be the next uh, choice for commissioner. Um, so if Bud Sealing doesn't want to be commissioner, um, then George Bush is, and the world looks very different. And there have been people in in inside baseball, um, in in the higher reaches of baseball, who tell me they blame the Iraq War on Bud Sealing. Yeah. <laughs> In a sense, I mean, you never, you know, what would have happened Absolutely. in history? It's a hard thing to what? get your head around, isn't it? That right. George Bush I mean, as I read the book, I present. knew, you know, I didn't know how badly he wanted it. I knew he was yeah, interested. Yeah, he really wanted it badly. Yeah, and that, he that's called, really he amazing. Called the governor's mansion, he called the governor's mansion in Texas, you know, the consolation prize. He told Faye Vincent that he would much rather sit in the commissioner's desk than sit in the governor's mansion. So this is a guy who wants to be commissioner. Right. And, you know, he has a big president. I'll tell you another thing about him. People tell me, I mean, I, my politics lean to the left, and people tell me that if I, if I don't like George Bush, do not meet him because he will charm your socks off, that people just are attracted to him when they're around him. And oh I have God. friends. 
I have friends who covered heard them. that too. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and they say yeah, the same thing. The guy just is, you know, just has exceptional people skills, um, political skills, and other skills. We can. That's another. We don't have that's to get another into world. That. That's another. Yeah, that's world. a whole different. That's another world. Yeah. Now, you know, the thing that and it's funny because. I announced this show, you know, I always announced this show in various means on social media, and I got into this basic argument of a number of folks who I believe are listening. I know one of them wanted to call and talk to you, but we started getting into the whole steroid era. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I want you to talk about, because I kind of knew this, how close, to, how much the owners really knew. And how much um, they just turned their, their turned their nose and just ignored everything. Okay, I can I can only give you my judgment of after living in this world exclusively for five years and covering it for many many years be, before that, that there were things that went on in baseball um, with with bodies, with the kinds of people that were showing up in the in the locker rooms with statistics, and I'm not just talking about owners. If you're a baseball fan, by, by the time 99, 2000 rolls around, you're seeing records fall so quickly, um, one after another, and seeing, uh, while we love all these home runs, but you know, one year 14 players hit um, 40 home runs or more, and a player hit 60 home runs three out of four years, um, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't quite add up. And um, so I think it was, and, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll quote to you an anonymous all-star uh, pitcher who um, uh, told me that uh, you, anyone who uh, inside baseball tells you they didn't know who was using is lying because anyone in the locker room can see the uh, poison oozing out their back, and that being the acne um, that comes with cycling on and off steroids. Right. And, and I can tell you something. I want to say this. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, but I, I covered the Colorado Rockies from 2001 till 2013 for a radio mm-hmm. station, for two radio stations. And I have to tell you, I remember when Giambi was with the Yankees. He came to town. And his back, he came out of the shower, and we were talking to him. I mean, his back was so full of acne, and his face was so red. Right. And he was he had to be like 250. Because I was covering the and Broncos at that time, too. And the funny <laughs> thing is, when he came to the Rockies, years later, he's still a big guy, but he had to be like 220. Oh, he was, was a clear. lot I, Right. A lot smaller he after did, the steroids. And then he admitted he did, that he did steroids. And, and he was doing heavy-duty, oil-based yeah. steroids that really build you up. He was doing Winstrol, which when, when he ended up talking to Greg Anderson and he started taking the stuff that Victor Conti had at, in Balco, um, it wasn't, you know, it didn't blow, blow him up nearly as much as the oil-based um, steroids do. You can tell I've learned a lot about steroids in, in covering oh, yeah. the story, unfortunately. Um, but still, you know, I mean, puffy, your, your, uh, your knees start going out. I mean, there's all sorts of signs of, of, of steroid uh, abuse. The thing about it is if you, I mean, you know, doctors told Bud Selig that uh, there's a reason why players are using steroids. They work. And obviously, we can see a 40-year-old man whose, whose reflexes are as fast as they were when he was 25. I mean, that's just that 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 just doesn't happen naturally. Um, no. But you wonder. I mean, one of the selling points for Victor Conti was: listen, I will check your blood. I will make sure your levels are fine. That your kidneys and your liver and your heart 
aren't um, going to suffer from taking these drugs. We take plenty of other drugs. I take drugs, you know, to control the pain in my back, and I, I get, uh, you know, my blood tested every three months to make sure that it's not hurting me. Um, right. You know, it's a, there are doctors out there who will tell you, and I'm not talking about, you know, um, uh, quacks. I'm, I'm talking about respectable people who will tell you that, look, look under doctor's supervision, steroids are fine. You know, unfortunately for the people who used it, it also happens to be illegal since 1990. So you're breaking right. the law by using them. Although, you know, as you say in your book, actually in Major League Baseball, I think it's, what, 2006, when they banned some of the things that the guys were using. Well, they banned so Andro, right, right, right after right. a month before the FDA uh, um, categorizes it as a uh, anabolic steroid, baseball bans it. The point that Don Theodore was making was, listen, um, my, why do players forfeit their rights um, that you can walk into any GNC and buy this, so why shouldn't my players be allowed to, to buy this? That was, that yeah. was his position, and, and he reflected the position of, of, his, um, of, of his clients. But, you know, Congress plays a huge role in this. They deregulated the um, supplement industry. No labels, no FDA approval. So apparently, test, uh, te- the testosterone is a very easy um, thing to um, manipulate, and you can uh, manipulate it such that it doesn't get detected by drug tests, which is what uh, Victor Conti had. Now, talk to my listeners about, and you can call in here at 424 675 8315. I'm talking to John Pesher, the author of the book, The Game Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. Talk to them about the great, probably the greatest commercial ever. Oh yeah, and it does show you an awful lot when you ask about about did, did people know what, what was going on. Um, I mean, so Nike's the chick dig the long ball commercial, which um, Tom Glavin, Hall of Fame pitcher, is still asked by fans to sign his name um, with with you know under that saying. Uh, when they sign, when he orders for them, it, it is that 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 commercial. I mean, Mark McGuire was the most famous um, athlete and celebrity, um, probably in the United States, and certainly known worldwide after he broke the record in 1998. And in 1999, um, Nike does a commercial showing him just wilding the ball, and Heather Locklear, who was the heartthrob of the moment. Um, and very attractive and very sultry-looking woman is is shown in a very tight T-shirt at a batting cage, ooing and eyeing with a friend equally as as sexy um, over everything that Mark hits. And Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, two Hall of Fame pitchers, are off to the side, and nobody is talking to them. So they go into the gym, they work out, they start hitting home runs in the um, in the batting cage. And uh, they have the lock player comes by and says hi uh, to both of them, and they bump forearms and go, chicks dig the long ball. And that's <laughs> what it was. I mean, you know, it was, it was, I mean, those guys were huge, and no pun intended. Um, but their fame and their celebrity was, was at the top of the charts, and baseball was looked at as probably the coolest sport uh, while all this was going on, don't you think? It, it was. It's amazing, and you're talking about also during the run of the Chicago Bulls in the NBA with Michael Jordan. You know, you have yeah, yeah, going on at the same period. It is have the same it's overlapping, but I think Jordan ends the last run ends 
because he came back. He was remember with the White Sox playing in their minor right. league system and left when the owners um, brought in strike breakers. And he said, I'm, I'm not doing that. And then he left and he went back to the Bulls that year. So he, you know, he started back with the Bulls in 95, 96, 97. Um, so he, yeah, 98 was his last, was the last chance. So they did absolutely overlap. And even with right. all that fame, uh, there wasn't anybody that was more famous than Mark McGuire at that, during no, that, at that time. time. No, it, it was really amazing. It, it, it was really amazing. And for those who are too young to remember some of that, I mean, it was just a whole different period where people just ignored what was going on. And some, a lot of us knew what was going on. I remember when I started covering the Rockies in 2001, seeing some very unusual things in some people's locker rooms. Yeah, that's all well, I'm saying. Know, is. Some of their lockers had some unusual items in there. We know and it wouldn't be. I mean, we certainly know there were a lot of players who who used steroids, and you know, I don't think I think that Ken Caminiti, when he came out in Sports Illustrated, was the first person who admitted using steroids, and he was an MVP. And uh, and they used to show they they used to show him on the TV uh, on the video screen at in um, uh, the San Diego Park. Um, working out with his shirt off um, because they were selling him as the sexy buff right. uh, player, and he came out and he said uh, fifty. You know, he he would guess that fifty percent of players were using. And I got to tell you, that runs pretty consistent with what I heard for five years. Um, you know, one of the things I, I never thought it would take me five years to write a to write this book, but one of the things the, that's good about five years is that you you see a lot of things with the perspective, and that you get right. being there for five years. And um, there were just a lot of people who were using uh, steroids or HGH, and there was an awful lot of people that knew what was going on, and the rest of them didn't want to know what was going on. That, that's what it is, and that whole period. And there's still folks out there still using it. You know, they, no some people have gotten a pass, in a sense. A lot of people have gotten passes, you know. Yeah. I mean, and 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 see, here's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm asked all the time, you know, what, what do I think should uh, should happen? Should people be put in the Hall of Fame? What about their records? And and while I am in, in no way, shape, or form condoning illegal behavior, which is what this was, um, we were all complicit. The, you know, the, right. the media didn't report it for a long time. Um, the owners and, and executives knew what was going on, didn't say anything. The players were, uh, obviously didn't say anything. Fans, I mean, come on. Like I said, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you know numbers, right? You know records. Right. And too many records were falling. And just, and and these the, guys were the, yeah, and just the eye test. Awfully big. So, you know, yeah. to, to just blame Alex Rodriguez and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and, to, and, and, by the way, to just blame the players and not take any accountability or responsibility if you're in ownership or you're the commissioner or any of the people in the game is, um, is, is, is wrong and, and certainly is an accurate picture of what went on. So um, my, my sympathies, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm sympathetic, but I look at, at Alex Rodriguez and say, okay, you know, he has been made the scapegoat for what, Right. Everybody knew what was going on, and that just isn't fair. And it's funny, in your book also, you talk I I've read a lot about Alex Rodriguez, but your book shows me how he's the most insecure athlete 
considering what he makes and who he is, I've ever amazing, isn't it? I, yeah, it's just something. Well, you know, um, there's a lot of insecure uh, people. I mean, Bud Selig, you know. Um, probably was as insecure as, as anyone. I mean, if you, every single thing that was written, he, a bad about him, he reads and he calls and he called me after I wrote a column in 2011 for the New York times about the labor agreement and the column run on Sunday of Thanksgiving. And so I'm in the middle of this is 2011. So I'm in the middle of reporting this book and he, and I knew it was going to happen first. Um, I got a phone call from, from the PR man and we talked for an hour uh, about it, and you know he started upset, but it ended up leaving fine. But I knew that um, that his boss wasn't going to like the answers that he brought back. And about three hours later, I get another phone call, and and uh, it's, it's 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 the PR man saying, "Can you uh, talk to Bud for five minutes?" The commissioner. They never called him Bud, and I said, "Sure." And he gets on the phone. He goes, "John." John, I'm so disappointed with all the time that I've given. I'm so disappointed in you. And Wendy's here. Wendy's his daughter, and I spent a lot of time interviewing Wendy. With all the time that Wendy's given, she's so disappointed in what you wrote. And what I wrote was that he did a lot of good things, and he did a lot of things that weren't that good, like canceling the season and threatening contraction and scapegoating the players um, for steroids, um, being three of them. And we talked for an hour until I finally had to say, we're going to have to dis- agree to disagree and, um, and let's talk again soon. I mean, how many times you're a journalist do you say goodbye to a major source? Um, but right. he just, you know, he, you know, unless I took back everything I said, he wasn't going to be satisfied. Um, and so, so that's, so yes, so he's really insecure. But Alex, Alex, you know, Alex grew up without a father. Um, so you can, you know, you can start there, figure out if you want to be an amateur uh, psychologist, as so many people in the media um, like to be. But, yes, I mean, it, it is. But it also, like so many other successful people who are insecure, it clearly drives him because whatever he he took um, and whenever he took it, the, re- the reality is that this man is an exceptionally talented athlete and works extremely hard and is, like, really into baseball. And there's a lot of kids in the on the Yankees that look up to him, and and he'll work with them. He, work he with just them had a real, renaissance. I mean, really, it's amazing. He yeah, and you know, it's, it's I don't think anybody, even the the greatest Alex Rodriguez supporter um, or or and or defender, ever thought that Alex Rodriguez would have 19 home runs and 52 RBIs and be batting two. I think he ended today at 278 because I watched the game and he struck out three out of four times, um, but. Uh, he's more of a guest hitter now than he used to be, that's for sure. But he's entertaining. He's the guy that when he comes that's up it. to bat, you're not leaving the room. That's the thing. And, you know, I could just talk to you all day about this book because it's just, I mean, we didn't even get into Barry Bonds. I mean, there's so many folks in there I wanted to talk to you about. But I just want to thank you for appearing on the show today. My what, pleasure, Greg. It's been great. To, you know, as you can see, I'm kind of into the subject, and there are so many great stories that, that people oh, yeah. it, it's, people wanted to tell me. I, I ended up, like, saying, please, I've got, to, I've got to meet one deadline here. Stop talking to me. I mean, it was amazing. I think that, that the people inside baseball also recognize that these 20 years were an amazing 20 years for baseball, and there was a lot of people that were concerned about their legacies and just I, I was overflowing in information. It was amazing. And do you, you know, I'll ask you this one before we conclude. Um, sure. Do you think eventually, because you were about to say, and I think I may have interrupted you, but 
all these guys, McGuire, Bonds, Rodriguez, do you think they ever will? I think they're going to get into the Hall of Fame. I think this is going to be just like the the, the dead ball era, the all-white right. major league my, era. It's going to be all these errors. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant to say when I was bringing it up, is that how many people knew and did and everything, that this is a steroid era. And it yeah. should be regarded that way. You want to put an asterisk on it, fine. I don't think once you say steroid error, you need an asterisk. But there was a, you know, the dead ball era, the spitball era, the old, old white era. Um, I mean, there was a lot of different eras and that baseball changed depending on what, what happened. This is one of them. Yeah. Wait, there's, there's, you know, with gene, gene um, manipulation and all the biotechnology uh, that's going on, uh, steroids are going to look quaint in the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. We, you know, we can have this conversation in five years. It's going to be a whole different whole Between different that and world. analytics. Yeah, and with, yeah. what analytics does, if you add that on to the new chemicals that are coming out, it's, you're going to have some robo-ball players, really. You could, even, athletes across yeah. the board, and, you know, basketball and, and football, we're talking about some pretty big men who are extremely fast. And, and yeah, um yeah. You know the, the the training techniques are better. I mean, geez, look at look at Mike Trout, twenty three years old. He's he's amazing. So I oh, think I'm, I'm psyched to see what happens in the next ten years of baseball. I, I am too, and I just if I was psyched to get the I've been waiting to get the book. I got it. I saw the promos for it, and then I finally got it. Started reading it, and I just just love it. It's one of my fa- and I, honestly, it's one of my favorites because it sums up. Everything that happened in that 20-year period, and I just commend you for writing this great book. And what do you think about writing next? Or are you just going to take a break from now? Well, on actually, I've, I'm going to do a biography for the, for Little Brown, um, a biography of Yogi Berra, who was my father's oh. favorite player, which is why he was a catcher. Oh man! Um, so, which is why I became a catcher before they moved me to center field. And you know, he's an American icon. He's 90 years old, and. Well. Uh, when yeah. you say Yogi Berra and everybody, put, you know, first thing that happens is it puts a smile on everybody's face. And how many people well, I'm going to ask you about? this. Uh, I'm glad you brought yeah, – keeping it a little longer than I thought it was. But I'm going to ask you, That's what okay. do you think about the fact that um, they, you know, the fans, I guess, voted for Johnny Bench to be on this Fantastic Four, the living greatest right. players. And I, in a minute I saw this, and, well, Yogi Berra won, I think, 10 – he was a – Part of ten, 10 World, World Series, Series rings, three win. three MVPs, um, a dynamic catcher. Bill, you know, Bill James, who everybody, every baseball fan knows, is the the master of of analytics. Right. Um, says that by by his measures, Yogi Berra is the greatest uh, catcher that the game has ever seen. And um, you, you know, you look at some of those years that that he had; um, they were amazing. I mean, the guy could really hit. And I was watching film clips of him because I only saw him at the end of his career um, See, when too. he was in the out, when the he end. played the outfield mostly. Right. Um, he was an incredibly agile. Um, he had speed, and he was a catcher. I mean, he was a great base runner. Um, you know, he's a terrific, terrific baseball player. And there's an awful lot of people who think that. He is absolutely and utterly underappreciated, and I'll tell you the two reasons why: uh, Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle. I mean, they, the beginning of uh, the right. first half of Yogi's career, he was overshadowed by Joe DiMaggio, who was a towering figure, and the second half of his career, he was overshadowed by a, a young, uh, amazing kid that um, 
you know, won the triple crown and, and, uh, and was, and the, the tape measure home runs, which, which now are, you know, just taken for granted that didn't start until Mickey Mantle started hitting balls farther than anybody else ever hit them. And that, that was the origin of, of the tape measure home run. So Yogi was never the number one star. He was Scottie Pippen um, right. at the beginning and at the and end I of think, his career. Yeah. And I think because he was created as a cartoon-like character of all the sayings, and some of the stuff wasn't true. You yeah, know, just and, a you know, and no question. Yep, yep. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who think, you know, Yogi and Yogi Bear, uh, you know, not the same thing, but they, you know, they're almost synonymous in a way. And right. so, yeah, I think that people don't take him as seriously as he should be taken as a um, an athlete, but he was an outstanding. Standing, I think. Oh yeah, and, so and, I was I was uh, really he, disappointed also that he didn't get that vote. Yeah. When I'll tell you what, when you're you know what uh, I played catcher and uh, it's the hardest job on the field by far. I mean, and oh, yeah. you got to be incredibly good, and he was durable. I mean, the guy again, he won ten World Series rings. That's amazing. I mean, that that is something, and also led a team, two teams to the World Series. I mean, that, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, no, he was a. Um, he had a, just an amazing career in in, um, in baseball. But one of the really interesting things about Yogi is that um, Yogi is the longest running television uh, salesman in history. And I don't mean selling television; I mean appearing on commercials. Nobody has spanned the eras that that Yogi Berra and, mm-hmm. and has done in really many commercials as Yogi Berra. Madison Avenue um, fell in love with Yogi Berra, and the timing was such. That uh, you know his fame really grew after his playing days, but because TV is the biggest, you know, with all due respect to the internet and 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 radio and everything else, television still is the biggest megaphone that's ever been created. And he came, uh, TV advertising uh, came of age as all of us who watched Mad Men, you know, in the late '60s. And by the late '60s, right. you know, he was a coach and 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 a manager into the '70s, and not not a um, not a player anymore, but uh, you know his career, his, his advertising career, really took off as um, TV advertising became such an important thing in this country. I never, you know, I never realized it. And by the yeah, way, in boy, November, really Obama, mm-hmm. I will be giving yeah, him, I believe, the Medal of Freedom. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yep. I'm looking forward to reading this book when it comes out. I want to have you back on here when the book comes out because that's going to be It would be a pleasure, Greg. I really enjoyed read. it. You asked some really good questions, and it was fun talking to you. Well, it's fun talking to you. I look forward to maybe meeting you in the future. And just thank you so much for coming on today and writing a great book. You take care, John. You too, Greg. My pleasure. Take care. All right. And again, that was John Pesher, the author of the book, The Game Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers on Little Brown and Company Press. I would, you know, if you're a baseball fan, if you're not even a baseball fan, you just want to know what was going on in that 20-year period with union, the baseball players' union in particular. I just want to know something about union affairs, know about, you know, what was going on in society. Great book to pick up. You know, so do that. And all you folks who were asking about John being on, he was on. You could have called him up, so don't don't ask me questions after the fact. But, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that interview, those of you that hear, heard this live and those who will be listening to it later on. But we're going to get to music now, and I think we will do – I think I'm going to play right now. Let's see here. i got a lot of things uh, lined up here. 
for the next segment, I think we will do a little bit of, I'm going to talk about New York and all. I think I'm going to do Autumn in New York. Yeah, no, I won't do that. I know it's still something. Yes, I will. I'll do Arthur Prysock singing Autumn in New York on the Root and Root Show. Let's hear that.
I'm going to get this going right now. Keep my mouth shut and just play the music. So we're going to do right now the new one. This is a new one from Terry Lynn Carrington and Chaka Khan on vocals. And Terry Lynn Carrington is on the drums here. And I'm going to play this new one that just came out. This is I'm a Fool. So let's hear this on the Root and Root Show.
and I, I picked it up a little on that at the end of that, but that was Jade, my favorite group as far as the little trio groups of the 90s, and that's my favorite. And they just, like, broke up after their, I think they had two CDs, and that was it. Maybe one, but that was, no, I think they had two. But that was five, four, three, two, one. Your time is up. Before that, we did the new one. And it's a remix on her new CD. It was Jill Scott, It's Love. And then we did Christopher Williams, Where Are You Now? And we started to set off with Terry Lynn Carrington and Chaka Khan and I'm a Fool on the Root and Root Show as we get to more music here. And I think we'll do, we'll go back to the late 60s now as we do some more slow jams here. We're going to do... I think we'll do the controller. Somebody's got to win. So let's say that on the Root and Root Show. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to Somebody's got to play
ocean in the morning while it's calm. I've seen a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. And I've seen couples find each other in the dark. And I see us together again, even if only in my heart. I see colors on a canvas turned to art. And I've seen people search for answers in the stars. And I've seen days when no one talks to me, but God, I can see us together again, even if only in my heart. Before the heavens open up, we might just find that we're still in love. Oh, if you love me, I believe that one day you'll be back in my arms, love. I don't care how long, I'll just keep holding on until you are. Oh, if you let me, I believe that we're not over. While we're apart, it might not be small. But you're still my lady, it's only in my heart. It's only in my heart, only in my heart. Keep holding on until you are. Oh, 
another day with the choices that you make. Decide what you will leave, decide what you will take. Decisions are the key to release what you don't need. If you're gonna let it be, then you have to let it be. Be mindful not to keep the residue of anything that had you feeling weak. Like what was said versus what you think. Sometimes your own assumptions are the ways that make you think. Feeling down, it can be an addiction. Getting up can be filled with hesitations. It takes determination, don't fall for the distractions. These attractions are the tugging on your soul. Asking you to stay when you know you have to go. Know the things you know is your path is just your own. Lessons will be lessened if you listen to their fear. Hear your truth, keep it near. And then you just breathe. You gotta let it go. Let it go so you can grow. Floetry, and that was Breeze. And before that, we did 
the great one and only Lee Williams and the Spiritual QCs. And, Lord, I'm willing. I hope they got you up there on the Root and Root Show. And we're going to get out of here. My goodness. But, again, I want to thank my guest, John Pasha, for coming on this evening to talk about his book, The Game Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. And if you love baseball and you want to know, you know, what's behind what went on with the labor strike and all, and what's been going on the past 20 years with steroids and everything, this is the book to pick up. And, you know, we're going to have him back on at some point. And, I just, and again, I just want to thank all the listeners out there and the new folks that are following who support this show. And I just love your support. Please continue supporting the show. We're growing. If you want, in fact, I got a said this the other night, and I got a um, message from someone who has a he has a, a, a group of African, not a group, but he, he writes African-American children's books about history, and I want to get him on here at some point. So I'm looking forward to that. And so if you want to hit me up on Facebook, just look for Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D. And I have two sites on there, but don't go to the public figure site. Go to the just regular Greg Rashid site because that's where I answer, usually answer all my mail and all the folks that know me and all, they go there. And you can also go on blogtalkradio.com, look for the Root and Root Show, leave your comments and interests on there. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Unifix, U-N-I, F as in Frank, I-C, S as in Sam, Unifix, hashtag Unifix, Unifix on Twitter. And if you're interested in advertising, interested in topics, anything like that, or music, you know, any music you want me to play, I'll be happy to do that. And if it fits the format, which is, as you can tell, we play, because it's roots music, and, you know, we do blues, gospel, country at times. We do jazz, obviously, soul, and emphasize at times. From time to time, we've been doing a lot Smooth jams, slow jams, love songs, but people like to hear that. We do hip-hop on here, so, you know, just tune in. You know, it's a kind of a different show for some of you, but we try to inform you, as we did this evening about baseball, the other evening about the, you know, about the Civil War. When we talk about issues of race on here, our next show, the upcoming shows, we're going to have another show about the Negro League baseball that will be coming up, and then we're going to have Paul Marco back on here again to talk about the current world situation and, you know, people love him. So I thought I'd bring him back. I'd like to bring him on at least once a month because people just like him and he has a great show, The World Beyond Belief, you should check out on the Internet. And for some of you, and I have to say this again, for some of you who like listen to me on KUVO in Denver, or in Colorado, actually, or KGNU, and just wishing I was back on radio. I'm on radio. I've been on radio, you know, been on the Internet, even when I was on those stations, and continue to be on the Internet, because the Internet is very convenient for folks who can't listen live. They can always listen later on. And I try to bring the best topics on the show, thanks to listeners and followers like you out there. So we're going to get ready to get out of here, and I just want to say, Go in love and go in peace. And this is Greg Rashid again with the Root and Root Show. And we'll be seeing you next time. So take care. And we're going to get ourselves out there. Just be help someone along the way, whoever you see that needs some help. And sometimes help is just hugging someone, just saying hi. 
Sometimes people just need that. So go in love and go in peace. We'll see you next time on the Root and Root Show. Thank you.